Today's reading is Luke chapter 5. In this chapter, Jesus calls his first disciples, heals the sick, forgives sins, and deals with some questions about fasting. Uh, There's a lot we could talk about, but from this chapter, I simply want to highlight the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have examples here of what Christians have always believed about Jesus. That is, that he is fully God and fully man, or truly God and truly man. One person, but two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. This is basic Christianity. The focus of this chapter mainly highlights the deity of Jesus. That is, he is fully God. But Luke does also give us a quick glimpse of the true humanity of Jesus. So let's take a quick survey of these truths from the chapter. So let's think first about Jesus is fully God. There are several ways in which we see the deity of Jesus come to the forefront here. Uh, They're not overly complicated, but fairly simple and straightforward. And here are the, what I believe would be four ways uh, in which Luke emphasizes the deity of Jesus in this chapter. First, Jesus is repeatedly referred to as master or Lord. Three times in this chapter, Jesus is referred to as either master or Lord. In verse 5, Peter recognizes the unique authority of Jesus and addresses him as master. The Greek word here for master, uh, epistatis, is, is found in Luke's gospel and is always used in reference to Jesus. See also Luke 8.24, 8.45, 9.33, 9.49, and 17.13. Again, it appears to give special emphasis to the unique authority of Jesus. Additionally, twice more Jesus is referred to as Lord, using the more common Greek word kurios. This word is more common and and was often used a lot like we use the word sir. That is just a title of respect. But if we combine that with the earlier use of master uh, and all the other evidence we will see in this chapter, these titles for Jesus begin to reveal something of his deity. But the second uh, line of evidence we see here is akin to what we saw yesterday, and that is Jesus' authority over everything. We saw yesterday in chapter 4 Jesus' authority over Satan and demons put on display. The emphasis on his authority continues here in chapter 5. We see first Jesus' authority over the natural world displayed through his apparent control over fish. Jesus approaches Peter um, and company and who spent all night fishing and caught nothing. That's the first part of verse 5. But who nevertheless obey Jesus' command to cast their nets again and, and they end up in, in the second part of verse 5 through verse 7 in obedience to Jesus. They catch more uh, fish than their nets and their boat could hold. So we see Jesus' authority over nature, particularly fish. But we also see Jesus' authority over sickness as he heals a man stricken with leprosy in verses 13 and 14, as well as a man stricken with paralysis in verses 17 and 24. Furthermore, and most importantly, we see Jesus' authority over people displayed. Peter, probably exhausted from the unsuccessful night of fishing, obediently casts his net simply because Jesus said to. He says in verse 5, At your word I will let down the nets. And after this miraculous event, 
those who would be his first disciples obediently, quote, left everything and followed him when he commanded, verses 10 and 11. Likewise, Levi, that is Matthew, obediently left his tax booth and rose and followed him when Jesus gave the simple command, follow me, verse 28. So whether it was the natural world, the spiritual world, sickness and disease, or human beings themselves, all were obedient to the authority of Jesus. This kind of authority and the extensiveness of it points to his deity. But a third line of evidence is Jesus uh, forgives sins as only God can do. Before Jesus healed the paralytic man who was brought to him and, and let down through the roof, because of the crowd, he looked at him and said, Man, your sins are forgiven, Luke 5, 21. The scribes and Pharisees got all up in arms because of this, rightly recognizing that only God could say such a thing. They were, however, saying more than they knew. This was precisely Jesus' point in saying this. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Exactly. That's why Jesus said it, because he is God. The fourth and final line of evidence of Jesus' deity in this, chap this chapter is Jesus knows the thoughts of men. This is actually a theme that began to emerge in chapter 4 and is clear here again in chapter 5 and will continue in future chapters. We'll mention it now so that you can be aware of it and notice it when we continue to move through the book. This theme began to emerge in the last chapter when Jesus was preaching and teaching in his hometown of Nazareth in Luke 4, 16-30. After he read from Isaiah and informed them that he was the fulfillment of that Old Testament prophecy, Jesus indicated that he was aware of what they were thinking when he said, Doubtless you will quote me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself, Luke 4.23. Well, how did he know that he would say that? He knew their thoughts. Here in chapter 5, when Jesus told the paralytic man that his sins were forgiven, Luke specifically says in Luke 5.22, referring to the scribes and Pharisees, that Jesus perceived their thoughts. For other examples, later in Luke's gospel, of Jesus knowing the thoughts of men, see, for example, Luke 6, 8, 7, 40, 9, 47, and 11, 17. It's really all over the place. If all you had was only one of these pieces of evidence of Jesus' deity, you, you perhaps could still make a strong argument that Jesus is God. But when you have all of these pieces of evidence, the cumulative case is overwhelming. He is referred to as Master and Lord. He exercises authority over all things as only God can. He forgives sins as only God can. And he can see past the outward, outward experience of things and knows the thoughts and intentions of the heart of men. That is something that only God can do. See 1 Samuel 16, 7. All this is taken from one single chapter in the Bible. Combine these things with the testimony of the rest of Scripture and to deny the deity of Jesus almost becomes willful disbelief. Well, Luke also uh, gives us evidence that Jesus was, uh, Jesus was truly man as well. The predominant focus of this chapter has been on the deity of Jesus, but in at least one place he does highlight the clear humanity of Jesus. After Jesus had healed the man with leprosy, his fame spread quickly. And we read in verse 16 that Jesus, quote, would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. The way this phrase is worded in Greek, it appears this was a regular thing for Jesus. It was an ongoing practice for him from time to time to withdraw and pray. 
this idea is confirmed from things we read elsewhere. For example, this is mentioned twice in Matthew 14 alone. Uh, so based on other evidence, as well as the wording here in Luke 4.16, Jesus regularly needed time away from the crowds to focus in prayer and be rejuvenated. This, as much as anything, points to the genuine humanity of Jesus. We already saw in the previous chapter that Jesus, like nobody else would, was hungry after fasting for 40 days, Luke 4, 2. So just as the evidence is overwhelming that Jesus is God, it is just as clear and obvious that he was God in human flesh. He is the God-man. This had to be the case if we would be saved from our sins. To bear the infinite punishment for our sin, he had to be God. But to die a death in our place, he had to be man. This he was and is. And thus we're saved through, the faith, through faith in our faithful Savior, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And that's a good word, I think, from Luke chapter 5.